Good morning. With the way that video played, it had a little bit of jitteriness to it. Did you notice that? Right? It, it looked like Jason's super quick. Like he drank a bunch of hummingbird nectar and then was ready to play pickleball. And I don't want to play him if he's as quick as he looks like. On the, His hands are in multiple places at once. Well, uh, we hope you'll uh, come and join us maybe for pickleball. And we're absolutely glad that you've joined us this morning in order to spend some time worshiping uh, together, you guys. What, the, the word that got stuck in my head as I was driving in here this morning uh, was the word beauty. As I drove in and saw all of the frosted trees everywhere, everything just looked gorgeous. And it was a reminder of all of the beauty that God has made all around us, that he is the one who makes beauty and the one who designs and the one of all power, and I'm thankful for that beauty also reminded of the beauty of God's Word. As we have been reading in our Bible reading plan together as a church to see the way that those four different passages we read each day weave together many times and the commentary helps us see how those things weave together. It's just beautiful to see God's Word and the great big story that He has given to us. And if you haven't been participating in that, it's not too late. I think today is January 22nd. You can just jump in and do the reading for January 22nd and move on from there if you want. It's on our website, it's on our app, and you can see the details in those places. Also struck by the beauty of God's promises for us as His people. And that's going to be a focus of our passage today. Uh, the beauty of the promises that God has given us as His very people. As we look at the Exodus, we're studying the uh, Israel's exodus out of Egypt, and as we do that, we're seeing different lessons that God has for us as we walk through those things. And last week, we saw Moses receive the call of God. At the age of 80, he found himself standing before a bush that was on fire but wouldn't burn up. God was present there. And as God spoke to him, he called Moses in this very unique way to go and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and to freedom. And we saw that there are some parallels between the very unique call that God gave to Moses and the call that Jesus gives to all of his people. Now this week, we're going to see Moses begin to live out that call. And as we watch Moses begin to live out that call, we're going to see, again, God has lessons for us about the call that he has placed on our life. I want to give us three lessons today, right? This is a sermon, so how many points are we going to have? We're going to have... Three points, you guys are like, last week had seven, overachiever, like, come on. Well, this week we only have three, uh, and, and one of them is going to be from the end of chapter four, and one of them is going to be from chapter five, and one of them is going to be from the beginning of chapter six. Now, because of all of that, I'm not going to be able to read all of those verses, so you may want to flip open with me to Exodus chapter four, and we're going to begin in verse 18 as Moses begins to implement this call he goes to his father-in-law in order to get leave so that he can go and do what God has called him to do. After all, his father-in-law is his employer and maybe his landlord. So here we go. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Is that true? Does he really need to go back to Egypt to see if his brothers are still alive? No, right? God told him specifically in the calling he received, they're all still alive and I want you to bring them out of Egypt. 
Moses is, uh, what, what do we call it here? Lying to his father-in-law. Isn't that the word that we use for it? This isn't the truth. He doesn't need to go back to Egypt to see if his brothers are still alive. God says they're alive, and I want you to lead them out. And so he is lying to his, his father-in-law here. Just make a note of that as we continue on. Verse 19 and 20, And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. God says, Moses, you can go back to Egypt, and you can fulfill this calling I've given to you because everyone who wanted you dead, they're now dead. Why does God have to tell him this? Isn't it enough that God called him? Isn't it enough that God said, I'm going to be with you throughout this process? Isn't it enough that God said, I'm going to complete this calling? Isn't it enough that God gave him a staff of God as a constant reminder of his presence with him? Does he need to be assured that everyone who wanted you dead is dead if God is with him? Well, the answer is yes. Moses did need that assurance. Why? Because what we have seen throughout Moses' calling is a faith that is poor to mediocre, right? Wouldn't that be a fair assessment? Hey, Moses, I want you to go and do this. I'm not the right guy. I want you to go and say these things. I don't speak very well. Please find somebody else. God has had to kind of move Moses along despite his poor to mediocre faith. And here he's like, no, no, it's okay, Moses. Let's go. It should have been enough for God to just say, I'm with you. And Moses says, all right, let's do it. But no, he, he continues to help the weak faith of Moses. So we, we see Moses lies to his father-in-law and has weak faith, and yet God is going to continue to be, going to continue to use Moses throughout this process. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill firstborn son. A couple of things I want us to notice here. First of all, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to see is that there are various places in this account where we're told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And other places in the account where we are told that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And still other places where we are told Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And there's no explanation of who did the hardening in those situations. And as we look at that over the next few weeks, what we're going to see is this, this beautiful harmony of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart with how God is constantly at work and how we are constantly making choices in our life. Not only are we going to see that, but we are going to see God use the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in order to make his name and majesty known throughout the world. All right, we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come. That's all I'm going to give us today for the sake of time. Uh, but we'll do more on the hardening of the heart in the coming weeks. The other thing I want you to notice here is God refers to Israel as his what? My firstborn son. My chosen people. Right? This, this people, they're precious to me. There is going to be a custody battle over the next few chapters where God says, Israel is my firstborn son. 
And Pharaoh, who believes himself to be deity, says, nope, Israel belongs to me. They are my slaves. And I don't care who you are or what you want. I don't care what God says. I have custody of this people. And there is going to be a custody battle over the people of Israel. And God warns Pharaoh from the very beginning, if you don't listen to me and let go of my firstborn son, I am going to take your firstborn son. Who will win this custody battle? God wants Pharaoh to know from the very beginning, this is a battle you won't win. Now, after Moses has received these instructions, in verse 24, we enter into what many Old Testament scholars refer to as one of the strangest passages in the entire Old Testament. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. What? So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What? All right, what is going on in this passage? What seems to be going on is that Moses has never circumcised his son and brought him into the covenant of Israel. Moses, who as he left Egypt, we are told, he chose to be identified with the people of Israel and with God's people instead of with the riches of Egypt, then went to Midian and was unwilling to bring his own son into the covenant through that covenant symbol of circumcision. And now, God, who has been so very patient with Moses throughout all of this, as he has doubted, as he has struggled with faith, God has walked along and said, no, come on, Moses, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. Right? He has reached a place where he's like, wait, you're going to lead the people of Israel, the people of circumcision, out of Egypt to the promised land, and you haven't even identified your own son with those people. And so, some sort of maybe illness comes upon Moses, we're not sure, in this situation, and Moses is in bad shape. And how is he going to respond to this test of God? He's not. His wife is. His wife is going to go and perform the husband's job of circumcising their son. And then by touching the blood of that sacrifice to Moses, he is healed. Right? There's like a little mini gospel message here as the blood of that sacrifice brings healing to Moses. Moses hasn't been obedient to the call of God for every Israelite. Even in this situation, as his health grows worse and worse, he is not being obedient. But his wife, through her faithfulness here, saves Moses. Right? Anyone thankful for a faithful wife? Amen. Right? Now, having gone through this weird scene, Moses gets better now and he gets to see his brother Aaron. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Just a reminder that Aaron, as we read about him, is meant to call our minds to the weak faith of Moses. 
God said to Moses, I want you to go and I want you to say these things and I want you to perform these things. And Moses said, I can't do it. I don't speak well. And finally, God condescended and said, what about your brother? Bring your brother. If it'll get you to go, Moses, let's go. And Aaron is a reminder that God said to Moses, I'm the one who made people's mouths. I will be with you. And Moses said, eh, I don't think I'm up for this. God said, well, then bring your brother with you. He's a, he's a constant reminder of the weak faith of Moses within all of this. And now, the two of them go to Egypt, and they meet with the Israelites, and they meet with the elders of Israel. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. The people see the signs. They hear the message from Moses and Aaron, and their response is worship. They worship God. Mission accomplished. Do you see what we see in this chapter? God calls Moses at the beginning of chapter 4. And then after that calling of Moses, we have one section after another that reminds us of how weak and flawed Moses is before he goes and fulfills the calling and people worship God. And it is a reminder to us as we walk through this that God uses broken and imperfect people to accomplish his call. He calls Moses, and then we see Moses lie to his father-in-law. We see him lack the faith to go down unless he knows his enemies are dead. We see him lack the faith to go down unless Aaron comes with him. We see him not circumcise his son and bring him into the covenant that God commanded. We see one failure and error in Moses after another. And yet God calls him, and God uses him to carry out that call. When we are called by God and come into relationship with him, we are broken and we are imperfect. And God wants to begin the process of growing us and transforming us. But he doesn't want us to wait until we get to a certain place in that process, a certain level of transformation, until we start to live out the call of loving others and making disciples. God wants us to live out that call while we're in process. If we think, well, we have to reach a certain level, a certain level of holiness, a certain level of righteousness, uh, a certain level of knowledge before God will really use us, then chances are we'll never be used by God. God wants us to respond to the call, love people, and make disciples from the moment he calls us, even as we're in process, even in all of our mess that we have. God uses Moses in the midst of all his brokenness and imperfection to carry out the call that he's placed on his life. If you this morning can look and you can see a thousand imperfections in your mind as you think about your life, Great. Don't let those imperfections stop you from carrying out the call that God has placed upon your life. Yes, His Spirit wants to continue to transform you, continue to help you to grow, but He also wants you to carry out the call while that is going on. I I talked to somebody last year, uh, a member of our church family here, and they were like, I really want to be a part of this whole discipleship thing. And Uh, I've been through core discipleship. It seems like that might be a nice step for me to just lead a table and help to try and disciple some guys, but I don't think I'm ready. 
I, I don't think I know enough. And as we talked, I just said, just jump in. Jump in and carry out that call that God is putting on your heart to disciple others and watch him provide for the things that you need as you go through this. That's exactly what happened because God uses broken and imperfect people to accomplish his call, which is great because that's all I see in front of me. And maybe that's all you see up here. All right. As we move into chapter 5, God has, uh, Moses has been obedient to God. And as he's been obedient to God here at the end, he's gone to present everything that, that he and Aaron were supposed to present to the leaders of Israel, to the elders of Israel. And how have they responded? They have responded by worshiping God. Right? There is obedience and that obedience is met by blessing and favor. And so we might expect as chapter 5 comes and Moses and Aaron go and they are obedient before Pharaoh, that what they are going to experience is all sorts of circumstantial blessing and favor. But that isn't what happened in chapter 5 at all. To briefly tell the story of what happens in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron, they appear before Pharaoh. And they repeat what God has told them uh, to say before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? Are you kidding me? And what is this let you go business? And, and, and Moses and Aaron say, no, no, please heed the word of the Lord or plagues are going to come upon us. And Pharaoh says, nope, I'm not letting you go. As a matter of fact, since you guys seem to have so much time to stand around and talk about me letting you go, I'm going to implement a little more work. It seems like you guys got too much free time on your hands if you're sitting around talking about let my people go. And so, this task that I've given you to make bricks and build with those bricks, I, I'm going to go ahead and make you responsible for the opening part of that task, and you're going to get all the straw and hay necessary in order to make those bricks. For decades, the Egyptians had been supplying this to the Israelites as they made the bricks and built, and Pharaoh says, yep, today that ends. Thanks to you, Moses. Thanks to you, Aaron, and all of this, let my people go. We're going to increase the workload. And verses 10 through 13 say that while the workload increased, the goals and demands didn't, and so they just beat the people more. Right? We're just going to beat you more so that you will produce all that we want you to produce. Well, the people are beside themselves with what is going on. And so the leaders of the Hebrew workforce go in to see Pharaoh in verses 15 and 16. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. The foremen come before Pharaoh and they say, what's going on here? For decades, you have supplied the straw We've made the bricks and done the building. And now, all of a sudden, without any explanation, you're not supplying the straw anymore. Isn't that your issue, Pharaoh? Like, shouldn't the Egyptians be doing that? And Pharaoh explains to them, no, thanks to Moses and Aaron, that's now on you guys. You can imagine how popular Moses and Aaron are at this point. Nope, you're going to continue on. Now, I want you to see that these leaders of Israel, they go to who with their problem? Right? They go to Pharaoh with their problem. Don't they have a God who cares about them, who heard their cry, who could provide for them in this situation? 
But that is not where they go with this problem. The result is frustration, anger. They meet Moses and Aaron on their way out who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses and Aaron, now that you guys have done all of this, things are worse for us than they've ever been. This is terrible. And so Moses, hearing this, he goes to God and he says, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to the people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Right? That Hebrew word for evil can mean calamity. You've brought tremendous calamity on our people through all of this, God. Through Pharaoh's actions, we are experiencing tremendous calamity, hardship, and pain. Why? Moses and Aaron have been obedient to God's call. They have said what God wanted said. And in the midst of that, pain and hardship have increased. Right? Did you hear what I said? They have been obedient to what God said. And while they have been obedient, pain and hardship have increased. Such an important lesson for us to understand from the Scripture. Obedience can lead to painful circumstances in the short term. That is precisely what we see here. It's what we see throughout Scripture. We see Joseph stand up and do exactly what is right with the wife of Potiphar. And what is the blessing that he receives for that? He gets thrown into an Egyptian prison for years. We see the disciples act faithfully to the call of Jesus to spread his message. And as they act faithfully and spread that message, what do they receive for that? Beatings, imprisonment, death. They're being obedient. But what is coming with that obedience is pain and hardship in the short term. We see that around us in everyday life. I was talking to a high schooler a few weeks ago who had felt God's call to be more faithful in proclaiming Jesus at his school. And as he has been more faithful about proclaiming Jesus at his school and standing for the things of Jesus, he says, I have been ridiculed and I have been bullied in ways I've never experienced in my life. He's being obedient and his circumstances are growing more painful and harder. I uh, was talking to a woman Oh, this is a few months ago now. She was a teacher, and she wanted to be as bold as she had ever been, bolder than she'd ever been with the name of Jesus as a teacher in the public schools. And she found herself in a place where it was possible she was going to lose her job because of that. Right? She, she was being obedient to God's call, and things were getting harder and more painful. I have a couple of friends who responded to God's call in order to be missionaries, to an unreached or underreached people group. And as they have reported to me, since they responded to God's call in order to do that, their lives have become harder than they've ever been. They've had more financial difficulty. They've had more problems with their house as it has fallen apart, more family issues as those close to them have died or have experienced new illnesses. They're being obedient to the call that God has on them. And at the same time, their circumstances are becoming more painful and more challenging. 
This is an extremely important point for us to understand because Satan comes into the church and he whispers this lie that if you will be obedient to Jesus, he will fix all of your circumstances so that you don't experience pain and hardship. So that all you experience in your circumstances is blessing and favor. He whispers that throughout the church. Sometimes he even proclaims it from the pulpits. And as that message is accepted by people, oh, if I'm obedient to Jesus, then all I'll experience in my circumstances is blessing and favor. What happens? They don't experience blessing and favor. And Satan walks in and he whispers, told you you couldn't trust God. Told you he's not faithful. Told you he doesn't even exist. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with us buying in to the lies that Satan is selling. Lies that are completely contrary to what we see again and again in Scripture. Because when we are obedient, we can experience painful and hard circumstances at the same time. We need to understand that so that when it happens, we don't grow disillusioned. We don't go, well, what's wrong with God? No, no, no. The problem is with that lie, that lie that we need to reject. Obedience can lead to painful circumstances in the short term. So then, if I'm in the middle of pain and hardship, as I'm being obedient to the Lord, how do I reach a place where I can experience the joy and the peace and the goodness that God has for me, even as my circumstances are hard, even as my circumstances are filled with pain? We see the answer to that in the sixth chapter. Because it's in the sixth chapter that God calls Moses not to focus on his circumstances, but instead to focus on the promises of God. We're in that place where we're being obedient and we experience pain and we experience hardship and we go, how do we experience joy and peace of the Lord in the midst of this? It is by not focusing on the circumstances we're in, but instead by focusing on the promises of God. Listen to the promises that uh, God reminds Moses of. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. Yeah, Moses, things are hard right now, but I will deliver. I promise you, and I fulfill my promises. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord... I did not make myself known to them. God says, every, every time God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is reminding Moses and anyone else who will listen that he is the God of that covenant. He's made those covenant promises, and he'll fulfill those covenant promises. Remember, I'm going to give you these names over and over again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to remind you of the covenant promises I've made, and that I'm going to fulfill those covenant promises and he tells Moses, you can even be more assured than they were that I'm going to fulfill these promises. Because with them, I interacted as God Almighty. But Moses, I've given you my actual name. I have told you I am Yahweh. I am. You can be even more assured of these promises. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from the Egyptians uh, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I remember. I made a promise. I'm going to fulfill that promise. God says, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, don't focus on the circumstances. Train your, your mind and your heart on my promises. 
And the promises that God gives to Moses are similar to the promises that we have as God's people. Look at verse uh, 6, right? In the midst of painful circumstances, we must focus on God's promises like his promise of freedom. Verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God says, I promise you, Israel, that I am going to give you freedom, that you will be set free from Egypt. And in the same way, God says to us, I promise you that through Jesus Christ, you can be set free. Not from Egypt, but from sin. You can be set free from the condemnation, the guilty verdict of sin. You can be set free from its power over your life so that you don't have to give in to sin in any particular situation. You can be set free from this present evil age and receive forever goodness free from sin in my name. This promise of freedom was for Israel to be free from Egypt. And it is a reminder to us of the new covenant promises that we receive that we are set free from sin through Jesus Christ. God promises freedom. God also promises family in the next verse. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. God says, you're going to be my people. You're my special people. He says, you're my firstborn son, he said earlier. I'm your father. You are family together with me. And this promise that God has for Israel is a reminder of the new covenant promise that God makes to us, that we're family and he is our father. First John 3, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. We are. I love the way Galatians 4 puts it. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. He redeemed us. That is, He set us free from sin so that we can be children of God. We can be adopted as His children. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Dad, Father, You're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. God promises, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of this family. You're a part of a family in which he's father, and we're his children. We're a part of a family in which we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love each other, care for each other, and support each other as we run after Christ together. The final promise that we see here is God promises a future. He promises promises freedom. He promises family and he promises a future. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God says, I have this future for you. It's more than a few years away. But ultimately, my people are going to make it to this promised land that I have promised. And in the same way, God promises a future for us. Might we experience pain and hardship right here, right now? Absolutely. But God says, I have this perfect future for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. God has made a promise to you, follower of Jesus, of a perfect future with him. These are his promises. And how often does God keep his promises? Yeah, that's right. And so we recognize God uses broken and imperfect people to accomplish his call. If that's you, great. God wants to use you right now in order to accomplish his call in your life. Obedience can lead to painful circumstances in the short term. Don't be surprised. Don't think, wow, there's pain here. I must be outside of the will of God. No, even in the midst of obedience, there can be pain and hardship in the midst of our circumstances. And finally, in the midst of painful circumstances, we must focus on God's promises. There's no hope in those hard circumstances. There's no hope in the past. The hope is in the future that God has for us, a future filled with freedom, family, and a future with Him. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we celebrate those promises, right? Isn't that what we do when we come to the Lord's table? We celebrate the promises of God. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we have freedom. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we're a part of the family. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we have a future. And as we take the bread and we take the cup, those are the things that we're mindful of and that we celebrate together. And so I want to encourage you to just take a moment and bow your heads with me and let's prepare our hearts to celebrate God's good promises in our life. Let's celebrate God's promise of freedom from sin. Would you spend a few minutes confessing your sins, knowing that if you do, He is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment in order to confess your sins before the Lord. Praise God that is. His mercy overwhelms our sin, that His grace is greater than all of our sin. Take a moment and just thank God for adopting you into His family. For the work that Jesus did to redeem us so that we might be called daughters and sons of God. And would you give thanks to God for what He has done by the sending of His Son to provide a future for us, this living hope that is bound up in this amazing inheritance that is ours. Would you take a moment uh, and just spend time thanking God for the future that he has purchased for you through what Jesus did. As we take these elements today, we, we continue to remember the promises of God. Continue to dwell on them together. When your heart is ready, I want to invite you to go to the tables that are in the four corners of the room where you can take the bread and the cup and bring it back to your seat. And I'll lead us in the taking of those elements together. I want to invite you all, would you stand with me and let's continue to 
worship God as we spend time preparing ourselves.